Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into our podcast, but we know you may have an idea for your own podcast and that's why we are recommending you go get Anchor. Mm-hmm. You can create your own podcast and then like maybe have us on as guests. You should definitely have us on. For oh, we're, we're, I just checked our calendar. We're busy, Ooh. Oh, but we're available on this day. We can pencil okay, we'll you be, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're we in. can do it. Okay, we, we it. said yes. Forget it. I don't like your ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anchor is the system we use and it's got a lot of cool tools. You can actually, it's kind of a one-stop shop place where you can go, you can record, edit everything, even implement songs from Spotify into your podcast. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it the most, to be honest, is that it makes us money and I love money. And it also is free, which is kind of like, you know, you save money. It's like I think that's the biggest money. thing is like it's free. So you don't have to worry about like paying any kind of fee or signing up for thing. And they do everything for you. So... You can go there. They will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other places your family are going to ignore you on. So uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started for free. Mm-hmm. Did we mention it's free? Free and you make money. You're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. Your family will ignore you. That's we're, true. It cuts to the core. We're not, we're not going to be on your podcast. Come on, kids, now gather round. Grab along and sit right down. What's that smell? What's that sound? You're on fire, now hit the ground. It's the campfire shit show. And now, your camp counselors, Bo Hufford and Mero Climo. You look like yourself. <laughs> you And you look like you. Thank you. Yeah. I try. Look at us like us. Yes. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm really like jonesing to get into a sleeping bag today with someone special. We have Amy Smith, who is a certified confidence coach. She's also a masterful speaker and a personal empowerment expert. She's the founder of thejoyjunkie.com, and she uses that role as a coach, a writer, a podcaster, and a speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. Also, she's just a rad chick. She is a rad chick. I really like the Joy Junkie podcast, which yeah. is hers. Yeah. And I want to talk to her about maybe some Jewish guilt that you put on me. I don't put Jewish guilt on you. And doing some stuff that we don't have to do, we don't want to do, and just being a better us. She wrote this great book. It's called Stand Up For Yourself Without Being a Dick. Yeah, I, and when I read that, I was like, oh man, this is the kind of person we want to have on. Yes, exactly. You know? You've it's, got it's, the dick part down. You've got... <laughs> <laughs> I've got... I don't even have the standing part down. I can barely walk. Oh my God. So yeah, let's... Yeah, let's not waste any more time. I just want to get in the sleeping bag with this woman. You want to go in? Yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then I looked at your website and you have like such a cool standout image and vibe. And uh, I was just going to jump in with that of like, how did you have in mind, you know, kind of the the image you wanted to create of yourself as, uh, you know, an author, an entrepreneur, all that stuff? Not at all. Uh, there, so that, that was kind of twofold. It was one part was just total strategy because I figured okay, if I'm going to actually do a trademark for the Joy Junkie, I want a name that like if if I change professions altogether and want to do like fitness or like become a mechanic, then I could be <laughs> the Joy Junkie mechanic, you know? So it was very much a, a strategy thing with that. But as far as 
how kind of brazen and irrever- irreverent I am and all of that stuff. I didn't start off that way. Like the, my first website, so embarrassing, was <laughs> the total typical waterfalls and like pebbles and like the woman standing just outstretched and so much freedom. You know? Freedom. That's what the, I was just going to say like freedom and like freedom to be yourself and authenticity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the, I, I realized pretty quickly that the more authentic I was, and I, I really do pride myself like that. I am the same Amy with my husband that I am on my podcast and with my clients, just that's kind of the business that I'm in. So I felt like if I'm in the business of teaching people how to be true to themselves and love who they are, but I'm censoring and twisting and contorting to fit into some sort of professional mold, then I'm not really walking my talk. So it became pretty magical how you really attract your people in that way, you know? And mm-hmm. so the people who I'm, who it doesn't work for is great because they usually don't work for me either. And then I just get kind of raving diehard swear bears, which is fun. So what came first for you? Was it your, uh, your podcast or was it the book? Uh, what was kind of your very first like foray into communicating with, with the general public? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I've been doing this for, I, I mean, I went to coaching school, I think in like the mid two thousands. So I've been doing this work for well over a decade. And when I first got involved in it, my, my whole niche was around relationships and making marriage work, uh, making relationships work. And I really got kind of burnt out in that quite a bit. And at that time, the way in which I was connecting with people was blogging. And then about five and a half years ago, I started, it was about the same time that I did the the ebook that you're talking about and the podcast. And it was shifting my whole niche. And I realized that as I was working with people on relationship stuff, at the crux of it was that there was this lack of communication skills. It was the inability to really speak up for themselves, to say no to things, to not be, you know, acquiescing and being a people pleaser to everything. So I really switched that niche. And so now that's what I talk about a lot. Those two dynamics of actually believing that you're fucking worth it to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. That internal component of I actually value my own opinion and then the external piece of what does that really sound like? Like, what does that sound like to tell your in-laws, please stop feeding my kids all that trash or to ask an adult child to move out of the house? Are, are you seeing that? Like that we're, you know, the digital age is having us kind of like hit our critical mass of information and the way we're all spread out. And so now more than ever, we're uh, needing to get intentional. Yes. Yes. And uh, I also think that there's a lot of people who are becoming more hungry for authentic connection because of that too, Mm -hmm. where it's, you know, you're in your phone so much. And so I do think that we're starting to see a rise in uh, like my husband does body work and massage therapy and, you know, people just genuinely wanting to connect because in their life, nobody's touching them at all. You know, I so- swear to God, I thought what you were saying, it was like a mechanic slash massage parlor. I was like, Oh my God, you blended <laughs> these two things together. You said body, body work. I was like, what? Like, like Oh, body work. Like, like Bondo <laughs> and like cars and like, I, they've done it. They did it. We did yeah, it. So, so people are really lacking that, that personal touch. 
Yeah. But I would say, so here's what I see a lot. I, I would say that I see by and large more people who would operate more like Bo, where there's, I think it's a false sense of guilt and obligation where there's this idea that if somebody extended a kindness to you or even just invited you to something, that declining with grace must mean that I'm a dick or must mean that I'm an asshole. Or the flip side, and I don't know if you really fall into this, Meryl, but where people are very forthright and a a guardian of their time and energy, but they do it in a really biting kind of acerbic way. So I don't really see a lot of people in the middle where they are declining invites and they're doing so with grace and kindness or having challenging, tough conversations with family or, you know, as we go into potentially holiday dealing very much in my case, dealing with family members who ascribe to a different political affiliation than I do. (laughs) Those sorts of things that we go, oh, I could never say that. Oh, that would destroy him. Or maybe even... In romantic partnerships, what we choose to give voice to and what we choose not to give voice to, a lot of that comes from this subconscious narrative of, I am responsible for how they feel, Mm. instead of them being responsible for it. And there's usually another little uh, addendum there that is that person's wants and opinions and needs are more important than mine. So it's better that I'm just uncomfortable than putting them in a situation where they might be hurt. Yeah. And then we end up having these like holograms of relationships because these people, like I, that's something that, you know, Bo and I really, when we started our podcast too, we, we said no matter how we feel with each other or with, you know, our audience or our lives, we're going to be completely as vulnerable as we can. And, um, you know, that's definitely a thing. So like, are, have you seen, did you practice it in your own life and start to see like a huge shift once you were kind of, well, I have a pretty epic story about that. Yeah. I want to hear it. Um, it's a gather around the campfire, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so a little context. I grew up in an extremely conservative, born-again Christian family. And it was very, very dogmatic. Lots of motivation through guilt and fear. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So he wasn't fucking around. <laughs> and he was brilliant. I mean, he was truly an incredible human, the environments in which uh, myself and my siblings were immersed, those were typically the structures that I had the most kickback around. And even now, as I've started to investigate and figure out my own spirituality, there's a lot of stuff that I think was very cultish, actually, about how I was written. And yeah, that it's no joke. It's really no joke when you start working with people's belief systems, right? So in 07, my father uh, passed away. And my prior to me getting involved in personal development, I was a makeup artist. So I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was going to be the one to perform the makeup for him for his viewing. So yes, you heard that right. I did makeup on my dead father, everybody. Whoa. (laughs) And in addition to that, I spoke at the service and he, I mean, he lived a really profound, incredible life. And so there was hundreds of people there. I had spoken to this crowd and it was really witty too, by the way. (laughs) You're like, I killed it. I did it. I did a tight five. Yeah. (laughs) You did crowd work. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's really funny. It was on my game. 
and uh, not not to mention doing mortuary makeup on my father. And then I get back to my mom's house afterwards, and she she's expressing kind of how she feels about my brothers and I not quote walking with the Lord anymore. And she says, "I just it just feels like we failed as parents." And I'm like, "Now what?" Because. Both my brothers, I have two younger brothers, and both of them, you know, had a little bit more of a tumultuous path. They both uh, had trouble with the law and did jail time. Meanwhile, I was the one who started working when I was 14, honor student, check off all the boxes, right? Moved out early, put myself through college, all of those things. And not to mention, just did my dead father's makeup. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And here I am being told, like, essentially, you're a disappointment, you know, and it doesn't matter all of these things that you are, if you're not, you know, ascribed to the same sort of faith, then, you know, you're, you're a disappointment, essentially. So the only thing that I could really muster at that moment was, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially after their father has passed away, like, you know, acutely after that. So I, I, and she said, well, that's just how I feel. (laughs) And, and I kind of, you know, I realized in that moment that there were going to be decisions that were so polarized that in order to choose me, I had to also choose somebody being disappointed in me. I had to make peace with the fact that I may always be a disappointment to my mom. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm a disappointment to me. And if she's going to carry the burden of my soul, I'm going to allow that to be hers because it's fucking heavy. So knock yourself out. And right after that, that hit kind of a trajectory where I went, oh, I can speak up. And I became extremely combative. So I was like, let's talk about gay rights. Let's talk about astrology. Let's talk about, hey, let's talk about Jon Stewart. Let's talk. And I wanted to pick a fight. Like, yeah, yeah. And it was like this newfound, and, and what it really was, was anger. It was anger that I had from my childhood, really. And it, my mom was getting the brunt of that. And then as I kind of was working through that, through my own therapy and coaches and personal development, all of those things, I was like, oh, you can speak up for yourself without being an asshole. I actually <laughs> could underline my point of view with her or with anybody and do so in a really graceful, kind manner. So now the evolution of that has become where now she will, you know, if she invites me to church, it's been many moons since she has because I've boundaried my ass off. Mm-hmm. But if she she does, I'll say, you know, listen, I know that that's not your intention at all to be offensive, but it's not something that I feel comfortable with. And you asking me repeatedly feels as though you don't respect my journey. So in that, again, may or may not be your intention. I will let you know if I'm at all interested. Um, but it, I would just really appreciate that, that reciprocal respect. I truly hope you can understand. That sort of a commentary is now how I speak to her, right? And that has been that it's hard. It's hard because it's awkward every single time. She's unhappy every single time. But what I realized was that's not my responsibility. And my responsibility is for my intention, not my reception, how I am behaving, not how I am received. 
And, mm. and so it really became like a, I a, love that concept. I love that. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, this idea really resonates with me because I feel like, um, I grew up in a very small town. I've said that before of like 800 people, uh, grew up in my, my family wasn't extremely religious, but we would go to church all the time. You know, it's like, it wasn't like in the house so much. My dad didn't really go, but my mom did. And as I grew up, I started to challenge ideas both in the church and just in society. And I always found like I was kind of an outcast because of that. Uh, and, and it made me, it, Meryl and I have talked about this, it pushed me to kind of move and get the hell out of that small town and go experience the world. But I still am dealing with some issues where I find myself somewhat combative or just challenging to my family. Because they're still in that small town and sometimes the ideas, like I had to have a conversation of why uh, these statues were being taken down. And I'm like, well, I don't know why we're trying to forget our history. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and you have to have that conversation and you realize like we're in different places of, uh, of just regular thought, you know. And, like Confederate statues? Yeah, like oh. the Robert E. Lee statue or, or like there was the last time oh, I yeah. – the last time I went home, there was a Confederate flag flying on somebody's porch. And I'm just like, I'm like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> like, but no. one thing I said that I think, um, I'm tr I was trying to figure out how to say this and not offend my family, mm -hmm. but there's all, there's this assumed like, uh, well, we're your family. So you have to love us. Right. And I said, actually, I don't believe in unconditional love. I believe in absolute conditional love, which is just because you're my uncle or my grandfather or my aunt doesn't mean you can, you know, sexually molest me and I still am going to love you. I, I kind of look at it as any member of your family is conditional love. And thank goodness I'm choosing to love you. Like I am choosing yeah. to, to have you in my life because at any point, anybody in your life can be gone. You know what I mean? And I mean that like they could do something so horrific, so horrible to you that it pushes you to remove yourself. And that, I think that includes your parents. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so, but I have a hard time explaining it because I feel like I'm on such the, 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 the outside of saying it. When I say that, I sound like a dickhead. You know what I mean? I do kind of sound like a dick. It's like, my love is, is conditional for you, mom. Don't you understand? <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. So I'm with you. In fact, I, I have a little saying where I will often say, I don't feel like blood is thicker than water. I feel like respect is thicker than water. Mm. So I am not going to become this fucking doormat for some sort of archaic societal obligation that, you know, when family was everything, it was about, we needed them to, to till the field and, you know, for yeah. actual survival, right? Right, right. And we allowed a lot of really deplorable things to happen inside a family unit. We don't have to do that anymore, right? Like in order to survive. And I think we still have a lot of these antiquated notions about loyalty. And to me, I, I realized my being born into the family I was born into was specifically for, for me, for my growth, the, the, what I needed to learn in this lifetime. I mean, this is just kind of my own spiritual belief, but I feel like I picked that body specifically so I could learn from that. Um, but with regards to what you're talking about, I think that you can say damn near anything, even really polarizing topics like that with the utmost grace and kindness. So even, you know, the other 
the other weekend, I was totally debating gun gun rights with a, like a diehard Trump supporter. And I'm definitely not that, but we were, we were just kind and respectful. And I think it's when we start getting vitriolic and name calling and, and holier than thou right. uh, that we, and we don't listen to what the other person's going through. That's when we shut those doors down. So and another thing that we really know about human communication is that nobody is even open to making change in a relationship, in a political forum, unless they feel understood. So if you come at that person just telling them why you're so dumb about these, you know, Confederate monuments and can you not see what we're doing here and blah, blah, blah. Sure. If you come at that, and I'm not saying that you did, but sure. a, even if it's a little snippy and kind of biting, that likelihood of them hearing you is slim to none, right? Sure, yeah. Is the emotion- tricky. Yeah. It's a tricky thing to do. You know, that's definitely like a skill to practice that I think a lot of us don't have uh, naturally or we've had defenses built up over the years of getting hurt ourselves. Every conversation I have with Meryl is exactly this. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say too, I, I, this week has been an example of that completely. I have... I think I'm like miscommunicating all over the map, you know, like uh, work wise. And I was going to ask you about this. There's a scenario now where I have a few different freelance jobs and my my rates have gone up, you know, and I kind of am in, and I have some good projects going on and I still have people from kind of like the old regime contacting me and expecting me to work for free or for little or for, you know, peanuts or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so what you while you were talking about not saying it in a self-righteous way, I kind of realized, oh, you know, like the way I kind of retorted back to them about what my rate is now, I did it with a little bit of like, like, please, you can't like, you know, and it was just because like I was hurt on the, or I was like feeling almost like I needed to protect myself and I need to show that I'm like so worth it that I almost went off, you know, kind of went over the top. And then I felt so icky the whole rest of the day um, just because I feel like I didn't really behave in like, you know, at the level I would want to and stuff. And, and so I think like, you know, and even with friendships, like I behave a certain way and then I get reflected back like misunderstanding or confusion. And then I want to like pounce on the person for not understanding me. And then, then like definitely this week, there must be something in the moon or the whatever, because I'm totally <laughs> learning that lesson. So I, I, I was going to go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I'm sure you work with clients who, when you do reach the next, you know, I, I don't, I hate to think of it in terms of levels, but when you do reach kind of the next like um, tier of like self growth or uh, just understanding yourself, don't, isn't there kind of like, like then the people around you start to feel a little sh- like shook up and rattled too, or is that only because you're like putting out a little bit of either arrogance or um, confusion out into the world? Well. I definitely think that there are people who, when you start to speak up for yourself, it's, it's, uh, it's clunky at first, you know, yeah, it feels clunky. That's a good word. It's not finessed. And, and usually what I'll tell people is to use that as a disclaimer and say, this might come out all wrong, but I really want to just be honest with you, you know, or I have a, that's good. I've been mulling over this all day because the last thing I want is to, for myself to come across this way, just precursor. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead of just word vomiting it out, that way you're it, in psychology, they call it like a soft startup, something that's a little bit easier than we need to talk. Right. Yeah. And more abrasive. But 
also, depending on the nature of the relationship, circle back. Like all is not lost. You can always go back and say, you know what? I really think I came off a little a little rude and I owe you an apology or, and, and I've done that plenty of times where the other person was like, what? I didn't even know, but I needed to clean it up. So what stood out to me, Meryl, is that you said, I thought about it all day. It bothered me all day. It made me feel so icky for the whole day. Yeah. yeah. Then go, then just go clean it up. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think I might've come across, you know, in a way that is unbefitting of me. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I need you to hear. You matter to me, whatever, whatever. But Bo, were you going to jump in with something? Oh, I was just going to say that that's definitely happened to me where I've said something maybe in the moment of like, it was going to, it was funny, but it came off a little rude uh, because, you know, I'm around a lot of people who work in comedy. And so you'll say something that's a little biting and then it affects me way more than it affected them that I said this thing. And then I I mull over it for, for days. And I wish (laughs) I could go back to that hot second and just go, Hey, I'm just joking. That that sounded harsh. I'm sorry. Or just not say it. But I don't. And then it it creates this monster in me that's just like, I have to get it out of my house, you know? So I have to like, I've called people and be like, hey, I know this happened like two months ago, but like, I can't stop thinking about it. And like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be a dickhead about it, you know? But, Amy, we have a lot of problems. I think that's... Uh, when you get to the point where you realize that you need to like take care of the problem, that is the solution. That is the growth. You know, when you're, when you're confused about what to do with it and then you don't do anything, that's the problem, you know, because I mean, how many times have we all said something in the heat of the moment? You're like, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. And, you know, to solve that problem is, is growth is, is really what communication is about. It is. And so what you're talking about, I call it uh, declaring the do-over. So you can do that with yourself. So depending on how much of a grip that scenario has, like replaying over and over in your mind, actually writing out next time, here's what I would say, or here's what I would not say, or here's how I would pull that person aside and and say right away, I'm so sorry. I think that came across wrong and that was unfair of me. And I have no idea what you were thinking, but I just wanted you to know I'm, I really am sorry about that. Right. So you can just write out, here's what I would do differently. Um, or do exactly what you did. It doesn't matter how much time's gone by. So you can always just circle back. I think a lot of times we think, uh, we've either not spoken up Like, let's say it's in front of a friend of yours who is always making, let's say, a disparaging remark about something that you feel strongly about. This has Mm. happened to me about uh, transgender rights, let's say. And they make like a flippant comment. If I, this is what I see a lot of people do. If they haven't spoken up for, let's say, the entire duration of that friendship, they go, well, I can't say something now. And I'm like, says who? Like, of course you can of course you can. And you can say exactly that. You can own your shit and go, you know what? I need to be really honest with you. I probably should have said something many, many moons ago. And I'm sure this is not your intention, but that, that really doesn't land well with me, you know? And it's hurtful for me to hear you talk about that. And you get to feel however you feel, but my super humble request is that you just don't make those comments in front of me. You You call that declare a do over? I call it declare a do-over when you are talking about the situation you were talking about, where you are mulling it over in your head, like I should have done this instead. 
you declare the do-over and go, here's how I would go about it if I was in that situation again. That, uh, that's, something, uh, that's something I say at the end of every sexual experience. I declare it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, in my life, I'll have one week where I'm in action and then the whole other week will just be doing things over. Like, just <laughs> <laughs> completely. Because, like, I feel like um, maybe something you see, too, which might be, I don't know, is that sometimes, like, the more, uh, like, an imposter or, like, I'm not doing well that I feel – almost the more that I'll like act upon that in the other way. And then it's like, you know, if I'm worried about my finances or something, then I'm like posting that I'm eating the most expensive oysters or, you know, it's this weird thing of almost like not admitting that I'm either going through a tough time or that I need to focus in this one area and it like, it overdoes it. And then it creates this like inauthentic weird thing that, that I think that like confuses people too, you know, like. And that's, that, that just, to me, is very a very simple defense mechanism. It's that there's something yeah. uncomfortable that's happening in our life. And what makes me feel better? Okay, my highlight reel on social media. Let's, what, what will make me look more amazing? And I don't necessarily think, I think what's so awesome about this is that you catch it and that you notice it. And Awareness is truly the win because you can't start making any sort of concerted changes unless you know what your behavioral patterns are that aren't healthy for you. So um, what I would do is when you notice yourself doing that, I would go, what am I avoiding? What am I not looking at? Mm, it's a lot. One of the other one of the other things that you can start working with too is instead of saying, because a lot of times if we're stressed about finances, stressed about our work or whatever, we say things like, I just need a drink. I just need a good meal. I just need to get laid. I just need, you know, and so we say these things that, you know, that might end up, we text our ex and end up in bed with somebody we know is going to make us feel like shit for like a week following, right? So instead of saying, I need, start saying, I choose. I choose to spend my money on these oysters right now. I know what it's about, but I'm still making the choice. Instead of acting like, I have no choice. I just have to spend all this money on oysters. <laughs> you know? what, yeah. Uh, what do you think is the most common uh, that you see the most common thing that people struggle with? when it comes to this sort of like communication. Yeah, and like limiting beliefs too. That's exactly what I was just thinking that too, of communication and their own limited beliefs and you know mindset uh, limitations. Specifically around anything related to conversing with other people, whether it's a tough conversation that needs to happen, uh, a boundary saying no, uh, speaking up that you're offended about something, declining invites. By and large, the biggest piece that people have to unpack is that if I, if this person is unhappy in some way, that must mean it's my fault. It's carrying all of those responsibilities for the other person. So a lot of times I see two major fallacies that people attach to. One is if I speak up or if I express my opinion, then I'm being a dick. Like it's just something like about who I am. I'm an awful human or I'm purposely inflicting pain on somebody. Mm. Like if we take the classic scenario of somebody coming out of the closet, right? Like you could, you could stay silent because you know 
that your parents will not support that and they will be devastated by it. So that there are situations like that where speaking up is an ultimatum. It's I either choose you or I choose me. And when push comes to shove, I sure as fuck I'm going to choose me. I think there are a lot of other scenarios that aren't that intense. It might be just politely excusing yourself from a conversation that you find offensive or um, I operate under this phrase that I use all the time, do not allow my silence to make me a liar. So if I'm feigning that I am complicit or compliant with somebody's thoughts just because I'm uncomfortable about speaking up, that's out of integrity. That is not who I want to be. In fact, I'll give you an example. I do uh, some community theater in my spare time, whatever that is. <laughs> and there was a, a, a kid who I was doing a show with, and he showed me a meme that was a picture of a child who was mentally and physically disabled. And it was some sort of like funny meme about that, which to me, that's just not something that you joke about. And so he's showing me, he's like, haha, isn't it funny? Like collude, collude. Mm -hmm. The easy way would have been like, haha, and just walk away. But I was going, okay, do not let your silence make you a liar. And so I don't have to get into this full blown conversation with him. But all I said was like, hey, dude, I actually don't find that really funny. I would appreciate it if you just don't show me that kind of stuff. And then I walked away. So I think by and large, people take those sorts of situations and go, I can't be seen as being a dick or controversial, or we have a ton of words for it, like rocking the boat or opening up a can of worms. We better sweep it under the rug. We have all these fun ways to say, shut the fuck up and don't express who you are. Uh, and a lot of it is rooted in that fear of how I'm going to be perceived. Ooh, Yeah. That's a good one. And even thinking about that where, you know, we tend to gossip about each other and kind of that's how we get a lot of our connection is talking about one another. And I could imagine a, a similar scenario where someone is trying to talk shit about someone else. And if you said like, you know, I'm not really into that right now, I can see how they would almost be ruffled at first, but then, right. then it leads to them like the same way that this um, this kid you know, or the, the person you were working with now on some level feels that he could probably trust you more. You know, there, there brings like more of a value of like, oh, Amy's someone that's like not going to laugh at me behind my back or talk about me behind my back or, you know, like laugh at my shortcomings or whatever. So yeah. even though it's weird at first, I feel like in the long run, you kind of solidify yourself as like a, yeah. you know, just like a trusted human. Well, yeah. So that's, that's one of the brilliant side effects is like, I literally have no assholes in my life anymore. Except, yeah. you know, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't have any obligatory relationships that I feel aren't reciprocal anymore because I only attract now and tolerate, allow people in my world who build me up. Right. And that, that took many, many years because I was tolerating a lot of nonsense for a long time. Did you have like specific breakups with friends? Like when you kind of started doing more of your self-work? Uh, I had, I had one that was a pretty massive falling out that then led to sort of a breakup, but it was more of just like a gradual phasing out and just not being available and not, not uh, encouraging get togethers and things like that. And it really, I don't think it always has to be a massive sit down. I think it depends on the nature of the relationship. Mm. I think it also depends on what's being asked. If somebody is saying to you, like, what happened? 
to us, then I do think that it warrants a response that's honest. Mm -hmm. If you, I mean, if you can start just drifting away and being less and less available, I don't think that's a big deal. I think that's kind of a part of how, how we operate as humans. Um, But I also don't, I don't feel like you, you should be saying, oh, I've just been really, really busy if you're not, and you have been genuinely avoiding. Um, I also think we need to give people in our lives at least the opportunity to be what we need. And a lot of times we don't. We just go, this is too hard. It's too hard for me to tell my one friend that she's so negative, so I'll just ghost her. Uh, when in, in theory, you could actually really help someone and make, the, that's what friendships are all about, is making them making better and doing better. And, but I have a know, challenge so. to that because it's like, how many times do you step in to say something before you just realize like, I don't need to give this person another shot. They've already shown me over the course of the last five years or however many times, like, this is who they are. It's like, I always think about that when I was managing artists. It's like, I don't need to sit them down and have this ultimatum. Like, you need to get better at this or I have to let you go. It's like, they're not going to get better or they would have already. It's And maybe that sounds very harsh, but it's like, if someone shows you that they're abusive or are a cheat or... Uh, you know, secretive and lying. And it's like, you don't have to sit down like, hey, listen, you really need to work on your lying or your cheating or your whatever. It's like, you've shown me who you are. I don't need, you've already trained me to understand this is who you are. So I don't need to do this anymore, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that I I will talk to people about if they're they're figuring out, do I want to end this relationship or do I want to end this friendship? I think it's also very different when you're talking about uh, a supervisory role where you, it's like, no, 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 you either are doing the fucking job or you're not. So, sure, sure. right. Friendships, family members is a little bit different, but what I'll usually ask people is, is this worth it to you? Is it actually worth it? Do you value this mm. enough where you want to get through this obstacle where right. you really do see something better for them and you think that they are open and capable because I do think, though, that people tend to shut down. They, they stamp somebody as, well, you're just sh- selfish, or you never ask me about me, or da-da-da-da-da, so I'm just going to, you're dead to me. And we don't give them opportunities. We don't even, um, we just don't give any sort of inkling of what's happening with us. So here's what I would suggest to everybody kind of listening is if you're wondering if there's a place you need to speak up, if you're wondering if there's a boundary you need to establish, Check in with what you complain about. What do you chronically, consistently, and who who do you chronically and consistently complain about? Because it's likely that you complain about somebody who you're not willing to talk to and tell them what you're upset about. So your spouse gets an earful or your boss or your bestie or fucking therapist gets an earful. But the person who you're actually pissed at never knows. You're so right. As you were talking, before you posed that question, I was thinking about one person in my life who I have allowed to annoy me so many times. And I'm just <laughs> well, like, it better not be me. Every time I think about this person whose name is Meryl, I no. just think like, no, no, no. So every time I think about this person, I just go, oh, they rattle me. Like every social set- setting, every time they, I try to invite them into my life. And then I'm always like, Jeez, why did you do that? You know, um, 
I love hearing about successful people's an example of like re rejection in your career and how, you know, we talk about like the shit show moments of life. And I wanted to kind of ask you like if anything stood out of either when you were starting the Joy Junkie podcast or your book, um, I wanted to give that a plug too. It's called Stand Up For Yourself Without Being a Dick, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, while you were creating these or while you were speaking, does anything kind of you know, stand out in your mind as either a moment of rejection that you had to overcome or like a shit show moment while you were talking on stage? I'm pretty amazing. So, oh. you know, <laughs> well, end the session, end the session right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Weren't, weren't you talking on one show like, what's your biggest obstacle? It's like, oh, I'm just too generous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bo, yeah, Bo, Bo, Bo says stuff like that too. Yeah, I'm really working on it. Um, so I think, I think for me that the business, I, I don't know as if I've had a massive rejection or anything in my business. Um, I do remember one time I went to a conference and it was still when I was working in relationships in particular. And mind you, I've been with my partner for 21 years. I mean, we've got some shit figured out. And I remember I went to a conference and uh, somebody was like, you're so young though. How could you, what do you know about relationships? Like something really condescending. And I was like, oh, you should pay attention. Cause sounds like you need it. Yeah. You know, but I don't know as if I've had a lot of behind the scenes breakdowns and freakouts when launches didn't go well, or I didn't make as much as I wanted to. Um, I have had quite quite a number of people comment that how unprofessional I am that I cuss. Um, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> that kind of in the hippy dippy, like life coaching arena, it's becoming a little bit more current, but I did have a lot of opposition there. I think my biggest the biggest thing for me to work with is what I told you about the rejection kind of from my mom. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting place there where I was, I had lost my dad. So I was still in pain too, but then she was also looking to me to be a lot of her new support now that, now that he had passed. And there was a lot of commentary about my beliefs and things like that. So that for me has probably been the largest obstacle that I've had to get through because it also means I, I can't really discuss my work with her either because it's mm. too like new age and stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's probably, I wish I had something. No, that's great. That's really great. Cause I, I think, you know, for people that have books and podcasts and speak, I think a lot of times people, and if it helps any of our listeners too, you know, they think it's like an easy track where it's just a linear track. But I think, you know, what they don't know is uh, I just listened to a podcast where a guy had his book rejected like 17 times by publishers before he finally got an agent and a deal and stuff. And so that kind of stuff, I love hearing from successful people that have actually put out works that, you know, rejection is part of it. And that's for everyone. You know, I love that kind of stuff. Not you, because you're fabulous. <laughs> no, no. Can't fight the gift. But you know, I um 
there has been, I mean, it, it definitely has not been smooth sailing. I mean, for, for years and years and years, I was making like pennies as a coach and I had a lot of shame around that. Uh, and so a lot of the stuff that, that has been tumultuous and really hard for me in my business has been the isolation and the behind the scenes and, you know, the things just financially not working out the way that I wanted them to. Um, but I never, I haven't had anything where I like fell down in front of people on a speaking engagement or, <laughs> or anything like that. That is so funny. I really, I, I honestly fell off the stage at an event that I was emceeing for real. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like handing someone their award. I feel like that sums up my life. And then I like went off the stage <laughs> and completely fell. <laughs> Um, so, so do you have like a morning routine? Cause I know part of joy and part of, you know, happiness, whatever that means for people is definitely establishing some sort of rhythm in the morning. Uh, or I believe that, do you have anything special that you do in the morning that kind of sets you off? I do. I, uh, I always start with a shot of whiskey. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, we have, we have I, wish, I actually wish that was true. I'd be like, really whiskey. Hmm. I, I do that's like marijuana though. I, that's I, the junkie part. Exactly. Uh, no, I, but I don't smoke in the morning. Um, I, I start off with meditation that I can do the guided meditation. Otherwise it's a mess. And I listen to it in bed before I even get out of bed. Otherwise I know I'm not going to create the space for it. And then I typically will do like, I do a little cleaning all around the house. Like I do a little making of the bed and making my tea and that whole thing. But then when I actually sit down to work, I'll usually draw like an Oracle card or an angel card, something like that. And I, I've gotten away from it a little bit now, but I used to, I need to actually get back to it. Just doing like short little journals about gratitude, you know, and mm -hmm. what I'm super grateful for. And then what I want to manifest, you know, the things that I'm actively putting out, you know, dialing into the universe and taking action on. So, um, so it kind of switches, but I always, always burn incense. So, um, do you have a scent? Is it patchouli? How'd you know that? I don't know. <laughs> I I can... patchouli, but you I do? I'm also a sucker for nineties fragrances. So I have like polo sport and eternity. Oh <laughs> Dracar, oh my god, that reminds me of all my ex-boyfriends. Oh my goodness. Dracar Dracar reminds me of like losing my virginity or something like that. <laughs> in the back of a in the back of a firebird. <laughs> no, it was always a black uh like Honda Honda Civic for some reason. Or like oh, a, I mean it was always. How many times did you lose your virginity? <laughs> I, mean, I was born again, just like Amy's <laughs> Oh Mara, let's, let's get some uh, let's get some bug bites. This is where you share uh, something that has been getting under your skin. Now I know you just mentioned tea, and I feel so bad because I texted you before that I that I, my old my last bug bite was chamomile tea. So I <laughs> oh, no. uh, I apologize for my hatred of tea. No, I um I'm only doing it because I just recently did like this whole detox thing. I'm a coffee drinker, so only thing I can have right now is green tea. So wow, good for you. Yeah. Okay, Amy, so tell us something that just bugs you, bugs the shit out of you. What bugs the shit out of me? I hate how people are using literally <laughs> as dramatically. What you're really saying is, you know, or like emphatically, <laughs> or 
it, not even figuratively. They're, it's just so incredibly wrong, so much so that I heard, I haven't done the research on this, but I've heard that the definition has actually changed. Because oh my gosh. Where it doesn't mean literally anymore. It means both literal and not literal. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're a millennial, Meryl. Kind of teetering. I'm the millennials for this. Um, I barely made it as an Xer so that I can be a little more lofty and <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm guilty where like someone just asked, we're going pumpkin picking this weekend and someone asked how many people it was. And I said, like literally eight of us. And I was like, wait, that is just a number. It's not like, I don't know why I'm making this dramatic that there's eight people going. <laughs> there's a comedian, David Cross, who talks about this idea. And he's like, someone was talking to him and they said, Oh man, I literally shit my pants. And he's like, Oh my God, what'd you do with your pants? He's like, No, no, I didn't really shit my pants. I literally shit my pants. It's like, you're misusing this so poorly. Oh gosh. I think that there are a whole grouping. I don't know if it's Z generation or what, the ones even younger than millennial that don't know what it actually means because yeah. it's so misused. Yeah. That's a good one, Bo. What do you got? That's a really good one. Uh, I have two. So it's literally your turn. It's literally my turn now. Um, I think banks. I'm just going to say banks. Now, I'm going to get to this. Banks customer service has gotten to be the shittiest of the shitty. Because now every time I go to the bank to do something, there's always somebody in the bank telling me, like asking me what I'm there to do, and then sending me off to do it someplace else. Like <laughs> cashing a check, making a deposit. If I want to talk to people, like, oh, no, 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 just go outside and use the ATM. Just You, you can do that at the ATM. Like, well, I want to do it here. And the ATM is where you go. It's like the bank is trying to get rid of all humans that work there and just <laughs> allow the ATM to do everything. Because they don't want you in the bank at all. It's like, hey, why am I... Why am I trusting you guys? You guys fucking suck. <laughs> Every single time. I have to feel, they just let people walk in and they push them right back out. And there was a line outside. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Stupid. You're right. You know, that actually did happen to me the last time I went to the bank. Yeah. I didn't, it literally happened to me. <laughs> literally, I, I feel like I want to join a credit union, but I don't, I'm too scared. I don't know how. So I need to just go into a Western credit union or something and start an account because i feel like credit unions care more oh god all right i feel that way they all want your money i can buy into that what's your what's your bug bite meryl okay so i feel like mine is kind of a cousins of of amy's it's uh women that call their friends like this is my wife uh when they're not what like this is my like a lot of girls on instagram i think it's also a millennial thing where like they'll call each other like their wife and i honestly feel like it's the same girls that would do literally and it's ones that like they just need a boyfriend and it's like, no, you're just single and you need to meet a nice guy. And then like, it, it kind of is like a, a shoehorn for if someone is missing having a romantic connection, you'll just call your friends. You're like, I love my girlfriends and I, they're my you know girlfriends and I love them so much, but they're not my wife. And like, it's, it's confusing. And so like leave the wives for people that are actually like, you know, for real wives and leave it. I don't know. For some reason that drives me crazy. It's a very like Instagram thing where it's like my wife. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have one more because Amy brought something up and it's when I meet people for the first time and I had this happen to me not too long ago and they, they met me, shook my hand, like, oh, hi, hi. Uh, it's so nice to meet you. Are you a Christian? And I'm just like, no. what the fuck? Like, where did you ask that question? I was at a social situation, okay? And this woman asked me straight up, are you a Christian? And I was like, 
I have, I, I don't think I've ever felt so judged right out of the gate, like right out of the gate, because I just was like, I don't subscribe to any specific religion. I believe that there's something bigger than me, but I can't explain it. It's like, why am I explaining this to a person I just met? You know, are yes. you a Christian? What are you gonna like me if I am, and not if I'm not? Like, come on, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. People used to ask me that all the time. Not that, but when my husband and I first got married, well, actually for many years, people would say like, oh, do you have kids? Because I got married when I was 20. Oh, yeah. Mm. I automatically assumed you got, yeah. the only reason you married at 20 is if you got knocked up. And and so for the longest time, people go, oh, do you have kids? I go, well, uh, we actually don't like them. People <laughs> <laughs> just like kind of stopped asking after a while because I was like, I don't really like children. So with that, I'm like, I don't think God exists. So it's funny. <laughs> it's funny how this happens over time when you're young and they say, Oh, do you have kids? And you say, No, like, oh wait, just wait. Uh believe they're the greatest love of your life, they'll change you. Then you're in your thirties and so like, do you have kids? You're like, no, they're like Good for you. Good yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have kids and holy shit, I wish I was single. But then when you get older, like, did you have kids? You say no. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. You never got the chance to have kids. It's like, fuck everybody. Fuck you. I'll do what I want to do. Yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about my reproductive organs. Let's talk about your reproductive organs. <laughs> oh, you can't? Oh, okay. All right. Your schmeg, it all comes back to schmegma again. We'll, we'll for, we'll, we are full circle. Uh, okay, Amy, we love you so much. Can Bo and I come on one of your retreats sometime? Sure, of course. Okay, good. Maybe the next one, Bo and I will sign up and we'll uh, we'll retreat with you. Bo saying no. Yes, I say yes. I'm just going to declare a do-over do and say no. I'm going to just say no. I'm not I want to go on a retreat. <laughs> That for yourself, I really appreciate. Where that. where can we find you? Where can people come out and uh, see you in the world of uh, the social medias? Yes. Uh, so my little corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com, and you can grab a copy of uh, my ebook and audiobook that Meryl was talking about. And pretty much on all social media, I'm under the handle at thejoyjunkie. Junkie is K I E, by the way, not K Y. <laughs> KY. Uh -huh. <laughs> Jenny. Um, but yeah, so come hang out, stalk me. Just don't don't be too crazy. Don't be a stage five clinger. But don't be a stage five. And your podcast is awesome. It's the Joy Junkie podcast, right? That's what it's the Joy uh, show. Yeah. And I, I my husband is my sidekick, so that we have a blast. You guys are really cute together. When I first listened, I was like, I hope they're married. And then I'm like, yes, they are married. Yes, he's my, my people do guy. the opposite with us. Like, I hope these guys aren't together because they're all <laughs> we love you. You're awesome. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's such a blast, you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, I feel energized. That was a good talk. Oh my gosh, she's so cool. And, uh, I feel more resigned on my path to being completely self-righteous. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that was one of the first um, episodes where we had actually recorded it online. And so we got to see her. No. No, okay. And so we actually got to see her through the whole experience, but she wasn't in the room. And what was awesome is her energy, even through this little box. Yes. Just watching her and talking to her and her facial expressions. I was like, this girl's got a lot of good energy. She does have a lot of good energy. So yeah, check out her podcast, The Joy Junkie Podcast. Learn how to stand up for yourself without being a dick. I'm going to stand up for myself right now. I didn't say you, you want to go. I don't want to hang out with you anymore today. Okay, then we'll head out.
thank you guys. <laughs> I guess I'll just go sit alone. As you should. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm Kermit the Frog right now. I don't know why. But why? Like, I don't know. I just. You're just a puppet laying on the ground. As I was speaking, I pictured Kermit the Frog speaking. Hey, Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> yeah. I'll just okay. go sit alone. <laughs> oh, hi yo. No. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm more. I'm, I'm, I'm almost exhausted. You're I'm a almost exhausted. exhausted. You are. Yeah. That was a, like a good talk, but like, you know, I need a little. I need like a bran muffin and a nap. Oh, you need some fiber. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. And thank you, Amy, for being on our show. Amy, you're awesome. awesome. We'll talk to you soon, guys. We'll see you next time here on the Campfire Shoot Show. Bye-bye. This episode of Campfire Shit Show was produced by Bo Hufford and Meryl Climo. It was edited by Bo Hufford, and the theme song was produced by me, your friendly camp counselor, Jeremy Stack. Hey, campers, if you want to be the next camper of the week, Email campfireshitshow at gmail.com. Say hi to Bo and Merrill on Instagram at campfireshitshow. And please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Good night, kids. Sleep tight.